Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. In about uh, 30 minutes, uh, Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org, going to be on board. Uh, topic is uh, the cleanest Missouri Amendment. Uh, and trying what Jim Babka was talking about, uh, a piece of legislation filed by Senator Mike Moon. Uh, so we'll, we'll kick that around uh, with Ron. But boy, I can't think of a better day to have Dr. Aaron Hedlund on the program to talk about uh, the, the inflation numbers and uh, interest rate hikes. Right now, the uh, Dow is down uh, 689. S&P is down 90. Uh, the NASDAQ is down uh, 304. Even the Russell there down the 34. Uh, all this on uh, apparently some spending information that didn't look particularly good. Dr. H- Aaron Hedlund, uh, welcome to the program. Glad to have you with us. What are the, did you see the, uh, the, the retail spending numbers? Yeah, I, I saw the report that they had fallen, and of course the market's not reacting very positively to that, and <laughs> to say the least. And, and that comes on the heels also of the Federal Reserve's action yesterday, not just raising rates, which was kind of expected, but also forecasting a 2023 that didn't create a whole lot of holiday cheer. What uh, What do the numbers indicate? Uh, on well, the uh, Fed is. Yeah, so retail sales dropped in a way that uh, people were not expecting to be quite that that size. And then also in terms of the Fed, I mean, they basically indicated that interest rates are going to go higher than they had previously said they were going to go in terms of for 2023. They also threw a lot of cold water on the idea that rates are going to come down anytime soon. I think Wall Street has been desperately looking for signs that rate hikes are going to stop soon and that they maybe even will start reversing in 2023. And Jerome Powell basically said, eh, not going to happen. Rates are going to stay high for a while. Uh, all right. So that's uh, struck fear in the hearts of, of investors. Uh, right on the cusp of 700 points down today. I'm sure tomorrow there'll be some some people getting taking advantage of this. So long term, uh, what do you see happening? Is, is this inflation going to, uh, you know, is there a chance that they can do this with a soft landing? Or do you think it's it's going to just crush employment numbers? Yeah, I think it's a 50-50 proposition. I mean, I don't think we're going to get some kind of deep recession. So the, the question is, do we get a moderate recession with kind of a period of slow growth, or do we somehow avoid that and just have slow growth and not the recession? We're not really, none of these scenarios look pretty, to be honest. I mean, I think unemployment, the Fed is projecting unemployment is going to go up by about a percentage point over the course of next year. If, if recent history is any guide, they, they tended to be over-optimistic on everything. So maybe it gets even worse than that. And inflation, I do think, will come down pretty noticeably in the first half of the year. Uh, the Biden administration is trying to take credit for that, which is a complete nonsense argument. And, you know, the reason inflation is coming down at all is because of what the Fed is doing and despite what the Biden administration is doing. And really the most disinflationary aspect of what the Biden administration is doing is having their policies expire. I'd love for those to continue expiring. Unfortunately, they are pushing for a reinstatement of the anti-work child tax credit. And uh, they're keen to let various provisions of the 2017 tax cuts expire, which would further reduce supply. Well, it's interesting you say this. Uh, Janet Yellen has a piece in the Wall Street Journal today 
Uh, it says uh, Biden has the economy back on track. His policies have helped the country weather a global economic storm and invest for the long term. Uh, she's, you know, 60 Minutes uh, did a special on her and, and really thought she was the cat's meow. Um, is she wrong? I, I saw the op-ed. It, it was an impressive act of immense gaslighting for the American public. I mean, it was astounding to read. I mean, first of all, she she paints this picture of a bleak economic storm in January 2021 that only the Biden administration can solve. Well, I, let's look at the data. First of all, we had a you know, tremendous drop in GDP in the spring of 2020 with all the lockdowns. And then a record bump in the second half of the year because of the actions taken that were preserving work in the under the previous administration. You get into January 2021, we had less than 2% inflation. GDP was recovering. Unemployment was falling. And then for ideological reasons, the Biden folks decided to pass another $2 trillion stimulus bill. And what have we gotten since then? Well, we've gotten low growth, 40-year high inflation, and now the fastest rise in interest rates in, in decades. And now they want to double down on that. So it's, it's again, complete gaslighting, and really we need to go the opposite direction in terms of policy. Um, Aaron Hedlund with us, Dr. Aaron Hedlund uh, from the Show Me Institute, chief uh, uh, lead economist there. I've been arguing to listeners that uh, every time the government spends more money than it has, uh, whether it's uh, a paycheck to an employee uh, or, or, or buying uh, things to ship overseas, uh, if it's money that's not in the Treasury, they have to print it or invent it. And every time they do that, they're aiding inflation. Is is that a, an accurate uh, statement? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot of nuances to all this stuff. But, but bottom line, yeah, I mean, it's when, we're, when we have very large persistent deficits, those things can be quite inflationary. And uh, when you couple that, of course, with policies that discourage production and discourage supply, that makes things even worse. And if you think about inflation as too much money chasing too few goods, when the federal government is pumping out tons of money into the economy and discouraging production, you're going to get higher prices. And that's what you've seen. I mean, households are sitting still on you know, nearly a trillion dollars of excess money that was not coming from paychecks. It was coming from government checks. And all these things are continuing to create some dysfunction in the economy. Could they achieve a softer landing if they uh, seriously restrained spending at the federal level in combination with the uh, Federal Reserve interest uh, hikes? Yeah, I think the, op the, the best case scenario would be, number one, the Fed's going to do what it's going to do, which is basically the tough medicine approach to bringing down inflation, which is through higher interest rates which makes it more expensive to, to spend. So that they, they've got to do what they're doing. The federal government should have much more spending discipline. That would basically stop adding more tinder to the fire. And then the third thing they should do is really a pro-growth supply side agenda, which would encourage production. So it's not just about discouraging demand. It's also about encouraging supply. And that's what we're not hearing about at all these days. Um, how much was the interest rate hike? So they, they rose interest rates by fifty half a percentage point. So not quite the three quarters of a percent that we've seen multiple times in a row, but half a percent is kind of expected, but still a pretty decent size. So the Fed funds rate is now you know between four point two five and four point five percent, whereas it had been basically zero a year ago. Yeah, well, zero was clearly too low. I think that was a problem too. Um, 
but now yeah. they're yeah. they're starting to get past that midpoint into high interest. Yeah, interest rates are the highest they've been now since 2007. Uh, but it's all relative to what's going on. I mean, inflation's still over 7%. So when I look at interest rates of in the fours and inflation is still 7 I don't think we're yet in a tight monetary policy environment. You really need interest rates to be higher than inflation to even really have that conversation. So if inflation come, keeps coming down, hopefully faster than it has been, and if interest rates keep going up, which it looks like they're going to be for sure in the fives, probably early in the in 2023, then we might actually get to a situation where things are tighter. But yeah, this is a sea change, and we're seeing it in the housing market with mortgage rates where they are. And I think it's just a matter of time before we see it percolate to other sectors as well. I'm sure the automobile segment, any uh, credit cards. What's that doing to, to the federal debt, by the way? This is the, the big dangerous argument that well, this is why it's been so dangerous for administration officials and people on the left in general. And frankly, the right hasn't been all that disciplined either to basically say, hey, no problem. The government should spend tons of money. Interest rates are low. It doesn't cost as much. Problem is, you can never guarantee that interest rates remain low. And now that interest rates are going up, that makes it that much more expensive to service the existing debt. So, I, to me, I, I think it's very troubling. If interest rates stay high like this, it's going to make debt more expensive, and it's going to crowd out all the other things that government actually does. And uh, that means that even if we cut spending, we're like just trying to catch, cut cut spending just to catch up, let alone get ahead of the curve. I see this as being a really long-term uh, problematic. Uh, and when I say long, I don't think it's going to be all that long, but it, it certainly is a scary prospect. The money you're spending, uh, sending to, to the Treasury to, for instance, uh, support uh, the military, is instead being forced to pay the national debt, uh, to pay the, to service the debt uh, or the interest on it, and it's going to eat up a bigger and bigger chunk uh, as time goes by. Uh, all right, so we've discussed what needs to be done. They've got to raise the interest rates a little more. They've got to cut their spending, and they've got to have some pro-growth uh, uh, policies that will encourage people to manufacture. Um, one last thing, and that is uh, tariffs on uh, imported goods. Uh, and I know that uh, there's this big push. Uh, half the country think we should be raising tariffs on China. Uh, half the country think raising tariffs on steel was a good idea. Uh, does that hurt us in the long run? Well, I think any kind of tax in isolation is not a great thing, and a tariff is a form of tax. Now, I think what makes tariffs a little bit interesting is that are they there permanently, in which case, again, they're a tax, and I don't think that's so great, or is it something that we use strategically to kind of for leverage, right? Because we do know that China is is cheating on trade and we can't just go to them and say please 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 you know you know change change your ways we need to kind of force them to change uh in other manners so i think that's the key is it's tariffs are not inherently good but they can be a tool and uh you know i think another interesting question is what kind of tax would you rather have would you rather have a tariff tax or would you rather have an income tax and there might be ways we can shift revenue from one to the other but these are the kind of the debates that we need to have I don't disagree. Dr. Hedlund, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me on. All right, Dr. Aaron Hedlund, uh, Chief Economist at the Show Me Institute on The Gary Nolan Show. It's the Zimmer Radio Network. Unbelievable. How on earth could this coincidence 
be. Uh, good morning. It is uh, 1021. It's Think Tank Thursday. And uh, Ron Calzone is going to be with us uh, in just a little while. Uh, Ron's got several topics that he wants to talk about, including uh, a cleanest Missouri amendment and trying what Jim Babco was talking about earlier in the program. We'll explain all that in about 15 minutes. Uh, but I got a caller online, and, and I read this, I think, yesterday or the day before, and then Brian just brought it up, and now I've got a caller bringing it up. Uh, the real-life matrix, uh, matrix, ecto-life artificial womb facility to engineer grow babies in a factory. Uh, I'm going to let uh, Steve come on board because the timing is perfect. Steve, welcome. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Yeah, I've heard about it. What do you think? Well, they're they're bringing in at least 30,000 new babies a year, and they got them in these little capsules, you know, about the size of a pillow, and you can see them forming in there, and so they artificial inseminate. You don't have to... You won't have no breeders out there no more like they're making people from the Ozarks. You know, these are going to be superior people <laughs> that, that um, um, you know, they can make an army or if they, they use it under the guise that, well, if your wife had cancer and she can't have a baby, we can get you the baby, you know, just like you want and everything. And But, yeah, it showed um, row after row after row of these babies in these um, it's like a, like a big balloon. And you can see that baby form in there, and you can talk to it, and so it gets used to your voice, and you can um, start um, teaching it things while it's still in the womb, you know, like counting and Beethoven or whatever, you're, you know. But anytime you start playing God, you're in dangerous situation. And so um, that's, that's what I, <laughs> I think it's all bad. I mean, you can make an army if you want, you know, and you can train them just like you want, you know, and you talk them talk to them about the constitution they say what's the constitution you know so you know basically human robots um is what i think but I, let me let me switch subjects real quick here i was in um columbia the other day and every time i go to columbia i see the alternative lifestyle whether it be lesbians homos and and i was there last friday and in walks these two transvestites into casey and there was no doubt they was men, but they had on women's clothes and makeup and, and frilly stuff. And they had low-cut blouses to try to, I guess, entice you. But um, it just so appalled me. And I said to myself, God, do you want me to say something to them? Do you want me to witness to them? What do you want me to do, God? And because I think as society, we need to take a stand. And because we haven't taken a stand, that's why we're in the position we're at. And it used to be just San Francisco or Minneapolis or Iowa City um, that had inundated with this. But now we are becoming honeycombed with this lifestyle. And just like Jonah was sent to Nineveh to warn the people because of their wickedness, um, God always warns people before destruction comes and i don't want to say it's god's judgment but i don't want to say he destructs but i want to say he lifts his hand the umbrella of protection around you and i think we need to be prepared for that and whose fault is it i believe it's the church's fault and and it's a pastor's fault because they haven't motivated the people to speak out against this stuff it's easier for people just to remain silent than to speak out and say this is wrong you know and tell your kids but 
we, the church and the pastors, I believe, have gotten us into this situation. And we are going to pay for it because I believe God's lifting his hand for protection. He warned the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. He warned the people in Nineveh. He warned the people at the flood. All right, all right, all right, all right. right, Listen, listen. Some guy walks in to the gas station wearing a dress. Is that any of your business or my business? Two of them. Yes, it is. I am. Well, my how is it? How is it your business? Because he is part of society, and we are not an island to ourselves, and we help form society by what we say and what we don't say. Well, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. If you're an employer and you think, you know, I don't want some guy working for me with uh, you know a two-day uh, uh, growth of beard, wearing a dress and falsies. You have every right to do that, and and frankly, I probably would. I wouldn't want them working for me because uh, I think it's a mental problem. But if there's a right. guy walking down the street dressed like that, that's none of my business. Well, I did. I went to a health food store a couple years ago. There was a guy in there. He had short, short, hot pants and bright red lips and and the, all the face makeup and everything. And I went to the manager and I said. As long as that's here, he will not wait on me, and I will not come back to this store. People need to speak out. And well, that you can do. Spoke out. See, that, see, that you can do, Steve. You can say, look, if you're going to hire freakazoids, I don't want to be around. I'm not spending my money here as long as that's here. You have the right to do that. You don't have the right to accost somebody walking down the street or a customer shopping in a store that's dressed that way. Uh, that's none of your talk- business. I'm not talking about accosting them. There are different ways you can do it. You don't have to be abrasive. You know, you can go to them with the, <laughs> and this is hard to say, with the love of Christ. But Christ also said, because I love you, I chasten you. And see, judgment will bring the, this country back yeah, to I, God. Without I, judgment, you won't have this country come back to God. Yeah, well, you can have judgment in certain circumstances. You can have judgment uh, uh, when you're a customer about the way uh, something, uh, you know, management is working the, the, the uh, store you're at. Uh, or as an employer. But if you're neither, if this is somebody on the street just not our business. I I think you are your brother's keeper, and whether it be your neighbor or somebody down the street, you don't have to go to them and, and call them names or... You don't have to go to them at all. Ways to you just avoid them. them. Just avoid them. I disagree. I all right. disagree. All right, Steve. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate the call. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Now, I, I you know if you don't like it, don't hang around with it. Uh, you don't have to play the game. You don't have to call a guy a... a a a girl if he wants to be called a girl because you know better no i'm not going to play that game you are what you are whether you like it or not uh and and i wholly support saying no i'm not going to hire somebody that's going to be bad for business or i'm not going to shop there because i don't want to be waited on by that uh, that type of person you have all those rights but if somebody is walking down the street or stops in the store to buy something That's not your business. That's not my business. You can think what you want, but you don't really, you really don't, you shouldn't go after them. All right, Ron Calzone next, Gary Nolan Zimmer, Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show.
It is uh, 1035. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Uh, Ron Calzone uh, joins us, uh, MoFirst.org. Dave Rowland is going to be coming up uh, shortly, and uh, he's got several cases to talk about. Uh, But uh, let's talk first about uh, Cleanest Missouri Amendment. Uh, Ron, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. So take away, huh? Yeah. So Jim, you and Jim, you and Jim were talking about the fundamental structural problems that we see in Washington D.C., and especially with the with the U.S. House of Representatives. And he was pointing out that your U.S. rep really doesn't represent you because he serves the leadership. And if you don't play the games of leadership, then um, you know you end up with an office, a broom closet for an office. I don't think he said that, but that was kind of implied. And uh, and so. The bottom line is is that they have a problem with a top-down power structure. I think you and I have talked about that before in Missouri. Yes. Yeah. And so we have the same sort of problem, and it's, it's very interesting that he talked about some of the bills that Downsize D.C. is proposing. And he's, he said, you know, the Read the Bills Act and then making sure that uh, they don't pile unrelated legislation together. And, of course, the interesting thing is, is that sort of thing is already in the Missouri Constitution. We're one of the states that he was talking about right. that says, says you can't do those things. However, they do them anyway, and the courts have been letting them get away with it. They've been letting the legislature get away with piling unrelated legislation together and um, changing the purpose of bills and doing all the sort of thing that Jim was talking about. And the reason is is that the courts are kind of hesitant about dabbling in the legislative process too much, you know, so they defer to the legislature significantly, more so than they should be, because in my opinion, when they defer to the legislature in this fashion, what they're doing then is undermining the power of the people who put these limitations on the legislative power. So I was excited to see that Senator Mike Moon, uh, he filed SJR 32, uh, recently, I think uh, actually it was just on the 12th, just a few days ago. He pre-filed SJR 32, and SJR 32 uh, looks to me like it's designed to close up some of these loopholes that the legislature is being, being has been using to get around the existing constitutional clauses that say a bill can only have one subject, and that subject or that purpose can't be changed through the legislative process. So I don't think he's calling it this, but uh, I'm affectionately calling this bill cleanest Missouri, because you may remember that two times now in recent years, the people of Missouri have been asked to vote on a, on a constitutional amendment called clean Missouri first. The General Assembly didn't like some of the provisions in that, so they put something on the ballot and they called it cleaner Missouri. You know, but neither of those solved the real problems that we have, the real problems that we have of this top-down power structure. And, um, and and yet this measure, I think, actually does solve some of those fundamental problems. So I think it would be appropriate to call this cleanest Missouri. Okay. Um, right. It's just, it, it's such a mess. You know, it, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Jim and I were talking about, as you just pointed out, that here in Missouri, uh, we have the One Subject at a Time Act. And I've seen them get around it. I've seen legislation... Well, they have all the time, and of course, you, as you may very well remember, you know, I've challenged some of these bills, and I've been successful sometimes and unsuccessful other times, but 
you, you, it's, it is possible for you, for a citizen, a taxpayer, to challenge these bills that with change subjects or, or uh, multiple subjects or change purpose, but it's a crapshoot. You'll spend a lot of time in court, as I have, and sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not. As a matter of fact, Senator Moon, when he was in the House, and I were co-plaintiffs in a case that challenged that first fuel tax credit that went on the ballot, if you remember. That was one of these kind of bills that had a changed purpose, and, and we took it all the way to the Western Court of Appeals, which, which said, well, this isn't ripe yet. Until the people have a chance to vote on it, we're not going to decide whether or not uh, the underlying piece of legislation was passed using constitutional procedures. Those are the kind of obstacles that you run into. A lot of obfuscation, a lot of money behind supporting uh, the largesse that goes into these bills. And, and so SCR 32 stops some of that. Sometimes uh, there is no way to have standing to bring a lawsuit against some bills that violate procedural claims. Like for instance, uh, transferable tax credits right now. They are used tremendously in Missouri. There's you know, somewhere between half a billion and a billion dollars a year that are doled out as largesse in the form of these tax credits. I think you've talked about this with the guys from the Show Me Institute in the past. Well, one of the reasons that they continue to, to uh, proliferate in the face of clear constitutional prohibitions against them is the courts have said, well, nobody's got standing to bring a challenge to these things. So one of the things that SDR 32 does is it says any citizen of the state shall have standing to bring an action alleging violation of any of these things in uh, section uh, in Article 3 that limits the powers of the General Assembly. And it goes on to declare that these provisions are to ensure transparent orderly legislative procedure and prevent the passage of legislation that does not truly have a support of a majority of the representation representatives of the people and it and it says it's you know designed to prevent the practice of combining a number of unrelated related amendments to a bill so one of the ways it does that is it says that you can't change a bill's title in the middle of the process. Now, this is a little bit in the weeds. Dave Rowland would understand why all of this is important, but what the courts have done is they, they've said that, you know, we determine the purpose of a bill from the title, and they'll admit that you can't change that purpose to the legislative process, but what the General Assembly does is they change the title. And then the courts go look, look at the, the final title of a bill to determine whether or not everything in the bill fits the title and the original purpose. But, um, you know, that wasn't the original title. Some of this, admittedly, is hard to explain, especially on the radio. But the point is, is that Missouri's closest thing we have to Rand Paul is Mike Moon. And Mike Moon has been fighting against this sort of thing for uh, his whole career in the legislature. Eight years in the House and, and a, uh, a couple years now in the Senate. And he's saying we've got to stop this process of, of uh, rolling different subjects together and changing the purpose of the bill. And now he's provided a constitutional solution to that in the form of SJR 32. It will tie the hands of the legislature so they can't do these things any longer. So your next question for me, Gary, is what are the odds that the legislature will put something on the ballot that ties the legislature's hands? Well, could I demonstrate that with a snowball in one hand and a blowtorch in the other? I'd say that's about right. 
But SDR 32, I mean, more power to Mike, but it's it's probably going to be uh, more of a con. I said Mike, I say Senator Moon. Uh, more power to Senator Moon, but it's going to probably be more of a of a point of discussion than it is going to be a real prospect for getting on the ballot. Uh, and because people tend not to want to limit their own powers. Yeah, and, uh, it, you've got the fox watching the hen house here. Um, right. And so, you, so your next question, next logical question is, is how in the world do the people of Missouri ever have any prospect of reining in the power of government when the power of government controls uh, the way we amend the Constitution? Well, that wasn't really my next question, but now that you've asked it. Well, that's why we have in our Constitution the people's declared right to use the initiative petition process. Because sometimes that's the only way that the people are going to actually rein in uh, an, an uncontrolled government, either whether they're uh, oppressive or they're unresponsive. And that requires literally... Um millions of dollars to get the appropriate number of signatures then you have to have millions of dollars to buy ad time to explain what it really does so you've got to find some benevolent benevolent multi-millionaire willing to get behind you uh, to make this happen got any names well, you know, as a matter of fact, if, as you recall, you and I first met in about 2006 or seven when I was running the petition to stop private use eminent domain. Mm -hmm. And for that project, you know, which we, we failed to gain ballot access by just a few thousand signatures, in that project we did find a lot of wealthy, benevolent people. They donated about a million dollars to that project. And, you know, if not for some uh, ineptness by a, uh, well, I won't go into the whole story. So ultimately, it's my fault we didn't make it to the ballot because I, I don't think I hired the right people and held the right people accountable uh, to, to manage the petition. But, uh, you know, had that made it to the ballot, we would not have had to advertise. It was a 90% issue. Uh, you know, so my point is, is that there are times when something is as common ground as that, you can raise the money. And, you know, here's something to understand, too. Right now, if you could muster a 1,000 volunteers to each go out and collect 250 signatures each, you can put something on the ballot. So it, it generally it takes money, but if the people are, are up in arms enough and, and if the people are, uh, you know, willing to get off their duffs and work a little bit, they can, without a lot of money, put something on the ballot. Well, um, if you could get something, you know, if the Republicans really wanted to get a lot of votes they would uh they would push the uh, getting rid of the personal property tax because i think that cuts across all political lines almost everybody hates it there are very few people who would support it uh and the other side might run ads trying to scare them but i think you could get that uh, to happen i think that would be good for republicans well you know what jim was talking about earlier is the dynamic that keeps that sort of thing from happening so, as he pointed out, your representatives don't really truly represent you. They are holding, they are carrying the water. I mean, some of them more than others, and some of them not at all. Understand that. There's some that totally march to the 
beat of their own drum, and they're totally serving. And I think Senator Moon is one of them, by the way. Uh, but most of them feel like they've got to play the game, and most of them feel like they, they've got to carry the water of leadership and the people that, are, that, that control leadership. And so that's why you're not seeing the kind of common sense thing that you're describing going through the legislative process. And, and some of the, you know, the, the things like transferable tax credit bills that pass, you know, there are hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, and the people that, that profit from those hundreds of millions of dollars ultimately are the ones that affect the legislative process one way or the other. And, and even if they only care about their particular tax credit, you know, their interest in that results in people getting elected that don't have the same kind of values that the average Missourian does. Only principled voters give you principled politicians. Uh, Ron Calzone, MoFirst.org. Ron, thank you for being with us and telling us about that bill. SJR 32, look it up. It's exciting. All right. Ron Calzone on The Gary Nolan Show. Uh, Dave Rowland coming up. Several cases that he wants to talk about. But we're going to get back to this uh, artificial womb facility, Ectolife. Because Brian doesn't like it. That's next. It's 10.53. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Dave Rowland uh, is going to be on board with us about uh, quarter after 11. Uh, the cases he's going to bring. Court allows New York to enforce limits on guns on private property. Uh, Y'all have three cop cars because I'm feeding cats to Alabama women guilty in trial over feral felines. Uh, they were feeding cats and they sent three squat cars to arrest them. Uh, Texas mother who was jailed for leaving her 14-year-old home alone. Well, she's going to sue law enforcement there. A uh, little Super Bowl suppression. And Lee Summit seeks a ruling in Missouri Attorney General's COVID school mask suit. That's among the cases we're going to cover about uh, 30 minutes from now. And uh, in the meantime, uh, this was brought up by a caller by Brian. I saw it a couple of days ago, uh, Ectolife. Uh, the story at PJ Media, if you thought the millions of plastic pods artificially growing human babies in the Matrix were creepy, wait until you see the animation of Ectolife set to be the world's first artificial womb factory. Recent video was posted online by its inventor, enthusiastically describing a facility where tens of thousands of babies could be engineered and gestated in artificial wombs with constant monitoring to check for biological defects and growth. Ectolife claims that it will engineer the most viable genetically superior embryo as it is reinventing evolution producing up to 30,000 lab-grown babies a year. I don't think it's going to turn out to be uh, what's uh, described there. But it is, but it's possible. They said their goal is to provide you with, an intelli with intelligent offspring that truly reflect your smart choices. So, Brian doesn't like this. He, and I'm not sure, is it your fooling Mother Nature? Is that what... Uh, well, you know, we've had this discussion before on subjects similar to this, and I just never believe in trying to play God with anything. And I just think you're setting yourself up here for some real, real terror in the future. I mean, what happens if uh, there's an accident and it goes up the opposite way of what you thought 
was going to happen, and you've just created a, you know, monster. Well, I does mean, it, doesn't that happen in nature? Say, uh, doesn't well, that happen in nature? Sure, but why would you want to say, hey, let's try this and see if this works? I just, I don't feel real good about, you know, playing would God. You, would ever. you ban it? Would you write a law preventing it? I don't know. I I saw this and it's like, man, that's creepy. That's something I would never do myself. But I guess if... Uh, well, let me ask you this. Suppose you found out, uh, you, you, you tried to have a child... Uh, and you found out that you and your wife both carry some genetic, you know, defect, some gene mm-hmm. that causes the babies to all be born, you know, with no life expectancy at all. Uh, right. I don't know what that would be, but suppose that. And this guy comes along and says, look, we can edit that gene out of just one of you. And then you can have a, a, a normal child. You wouldn't do that? I don't think so. I, again, I think you are playing God in that respect. I mean, maybe the creator is sending a message like you two just, you know, can't conceive. And I don't know. I just don't feel really good about it. Well, do you have a problem with in utero surgery to save the life of a child? No, I don't think so. Well, isn't that interfering? I mean, if God wanted this child to be born with spina bifida or something... You know, who are you to you know, let a surgeon go in and fix this? Right, but I mean, at the same time, do you have a problem with a child being born if a parent says, hey, we're going to give birth to this kid that has Down syndrome, and uh, they can't correct it? Would you abort, or would you say, no, we're, I'm just trying to feel where you are in this? Story. I would say if there is some gene therapy, if they can use CRISPR to save that child, I would do it in a New York second. I don't know. It's just a really sensitive topic. And I just, you know, when you see the pictures of this ecto facility, yeah, it is very reminiscent. It's not I, real. I understand. But, I mean, it is very reminiscent of what happens when, you know, humans start messing with uh, with stuff. Let me get a phone call. All right, all right. Well, we have, uh, we have, for instance, incubators. Uh, if a baby is born prematurely, uh, we put a baby in an incubator. How's that different from this ectolife thing? It's very, very similar. Uh, it's just that with the incubator, the baby is, you know, already born and the umbilical cord is already separated. Uh, in this case, things go wrong, though, Gary. You know, yeah. Well, things go wrong in in nature too. All right, we're up against the clock. Quick break. We'll be back. Gary Nolan Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show 